Hey everybody, welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree. And in conversation today, we have the legendary New York-based professional dominatrix, Mistress Natalie King. We talk all things BDSM and of course her unique, holistic approach to this profession. I loved this conversation through and through. And in this episode today, you will hear the name Bob Flanagan come up. Uh, Bob Flanagan, little context for all of you here, was an American performance artist who was born with cystic fibrosis. He was a self-proclaimed super masochist and often explored pain in both his art and his writing. Uh, so please do check him out for yourselves, but only after you give this episode a listen. Hey everybody, welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree and in the hot seat today, oh, you are in for such a treat. Famed New York professional dominatrix, Mistress Natalie King. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so wonderful. You and I met doing uh, my Red Umbrella Talk series that we yes. filmed together at the Museum of Sex at the end of 2021. But listeners, mm -hmm. viewers, you will not be seeing that until later in 2022. So this is really uh, an introduction for everyone who gets a chance to meet you. Well, I'm super grateful for the opportunity, and it was such a pleasure um, meeting you when when we did. I was I was blown away by your perspective, your experience in this field in particular. So I've got a, a bunch of curiosities that I want to get to with you. Uh, but to give this audience an idea of who we're talking with today, I'm, I know people are familiar with the phrase and the term and the profession dominatrix, but they want to know what you do specifically. So how would you say uh, your approach to this is uniquely you? Well, domination is a very broad field and everybody comes to it with their own style and philosophy. Um, for me personally, after being in the industry for, oh geez, now that we're in 2022, I, I have to say uh, like 29 years. <laughs> so we're, we're approaching three decades and I cannot honestly say what BDSM and domination meant to me you know, when I was 18 and what it means to me now is completely different. So I have evolved into a very mindful, uh, holistic and, you know, consensual approach to, to BDSM and kink, uh, hopefully using it in a really positive and productive way. So I have really enjoyed taking what I do and in some way, shape or form, enhancing people's lives. And that could be just because it's fun. You know, I think in life, we don't put enough emphasis on play. Uh, yeah. So it could just simply be because it's adult playtime, but really knowing that what I'm doing, like the people who are coming to me are coming to me for, you know, some form of positive, good energy. And that's very important to me. I, I love that. It's so true that as we age and as we mature, it's almost expected of us to shed that curious side, that playful side, mm -hmm. as if it doesn't fit into adulthood, as if we may not have um, uh, 
further fantasies in that regard. Yeah. I think that that's that's kind of heartbreaking, and and people like yourself are really doing the work to to combat that. I, I think it's incredible work. Uh, Thank for, you. Out of out of my own interest here, when you say that your relationship to BDSM at eighteen has changed to this beautiful holistic approach, now can I ask what that initial uh, relationship and understanding and draw was? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was. I fell into it. I mean, this is like nineteen ninety three. There's no beepers. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. There's nothing. And this is like. So my experience or understanding of kink or BDSM was extraordinarily limited. Um, you know, in retrospect, I had seen sort of images that would represent kink in some way, but I didn't know at those early years what it actually was. Hmm. And so I accidentally kind of fell into this by bumping into a friend who was working at a role playhouse. And that was my introduction. Um, so I was attracted to it just because my whole life I really was drawn to counterculture and things you're not supposed to do, things that were a bit rebellious, anything that sort of went against the more traditional um, aspects of life. I was really overweight growing up. I was like 240 pounds by the time I was 13. And I just realized I wasn't going to fit in. So I was like, well, if I'm not going to fit in anyway, I might as well just do everything that I can. That's the opposite. You know, didn't hang out with the popular people, you know, didn't want the whole cheerleader try and fit in. No, it's like I wanted, you know, the purple hair and the piercings and the heavy metal music and anything I could do to be like, F you to society because you don't like me and you don't accept me anyway. And, you know, I really got into the whole sort of Sid and Nancy rock and roll cool factor. And, you know, uh, my first year of college, I fell into this and I was like, it's just fit. <laughs> you know, this is yeah. like, this is so bad. It's great. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's sort of why I, you know, was curious about it. And um, I can't tell you how transformative the whole experience was because, well, yes, there was a natural curiosity, one of the things that came out of it, which was very opposite, I think the tone of the time, because I'm, I'm going to be really honest, like back in the early nineties, like the kink scene, the BDSM scene, the professional dom scene, it was pretty rough, you know, lots of drugs, lots of unstable people, lots of CD shit happening, like nothing like good about it, honestly. Um, but for me personally, it was the first time that I sort of shifted the perspective of myself to being this shy, introverted girl, you know, didn't understand anything about my sexuality or have any sort of confidence. I didn't even have a boyfriend before I started being a dominatrix. Wow. So all of, yeah, seriously, like no joke. Like my first relationships were with my subs. And um, so here I am in this like paddle call lineup and I lost some weight, but I was still, you know, pretty overweight, but you know, I was cute and like all of that stuff. I'd lost maybe 60 pounds and, uh, all of these people would actually choose me like these men, these like older men in their forties who, you know, had decent jobs and, you know, I considered established in the world, you know, a lot older than me. And here they are. And they're like actually choosing me and also paying for me yeah. for my time. And so I started this, like really starting to realize like, hey, wait a minute, like maybe I'm not that 
girl that everybody made fun of when I was younger. And then of course they're asking, you know, me to dominate them, you know, and I'm just like, okay, so I have to like learn everything from, you know, remember everything from my acting class in the third grade and like just (laughs) pretend seriously. Like that was, that's what I did. I was like, I'm just faking it till I make it, you know? And I mean, that is what I did, but eventually over time, all of the things that I put into Natalie as the Dom were the things I wanted to be, you know, confident, strong, um, you know, in control of her sexuality and unapologetic for all of that. And those were the things I aspired to be. So all of my sort of desires in this person that I wished I could be, I was putting out in these little hour increments in my Mm -hmm. life. And over time, it really started to bleed over into my regular life. So for me, it was a super like fast course, I think, in in shedding a lot of the trauma of being morbidly obese and being made fun of my whole life and um, all of all of the things that come with that. And here in a condensed version, I, I think I started to shed that. I think it would have taken a lot longer if I wasn't in the industry, yeah. you know, that I was in. It's, it's incredible. You hear, uh, you know, anyone who spends time talking with people in this profession, anyone who's read uh, the, the story of someone who stepped into the job of a dominatrix, you hear about this uh, body control, body autonomy that is mm-hmm. experienced rather early on, and it's a liberation of sorts. And yeah, I mean, definitely. L- looking at you today, you are a, f- you're a fitness fucking queen. Like, it's, <laughs> it's incredible. It, it's amazing. Yeah. So, so that relationship to your body, how did your job, your business transform you into who you are? Not saying one outweighs the other, or one is uh, yeah. a, a happier or better version, but that transformation in itself. Well, it's really interesting. So the one thing I have realized is over my 30 years of doing this, I have been everything from very, very overweight to underweight. And during my own personal health journey, like was all over the place. And it's funny to see that my subs and clients who knew me stick stuck with me regardless. Like they did not care where I was on the spectrum, which is also very validating that you realize that the relationship so trumps the aesthetic of it. Yes, the aesthetic a lot of times is what will bring you to it. But once that relationship is formed, it was really interesting to see no matter where I was in my health and fitness journey, um, that they stuck with me. Uh, But what really happened, you know, obviously there is an aesthetic part of, of what I, of what I do and searching for health and fitness, not just because of the industry that I'm in, but because of my own personal struggles took a long time. Um, It was really through the help of one of my subs who uh, got me hooked up with like a functional medicine physician. And it, blew my mind. Like everything that I was told, um, through traditional Western medicine and fitness, you know, was kind of thrown out the window because that really didn't work for me. Um, and so I started on this other journey and it really opened up so much stuff. And I got so curious about this again, non-traditional path that I started 
learning so much, you know, podcasts, books, going to these doctors, doing all these crazy tests that you, your regular traditional Western medicine physicians would never give to you. Right. And uh, then be- got more into health and fitness. I got my own personal training certification. I got a life coaching mm-hmm. certification. I got a yoga certification. So the more information that I could have, the better. Mm-hmm. And it really was through um, wanting to be the best version of myself for my subs, um, really being the, the, that person that I wanted to be so I could be the best Dom that I could be. So it was this very, um, sort of yin and yang of their energy and what they need for me and my energy and what I want to give to them and being healthy and fit and all of those things. And also the, the help from my sub to really put me down a path. I don't know if I would have found on my own, uh, and then just ran with it like crazy. (laughs) It's what a, what a beautiful, observation to have lived through in that uh, you realize that these subs of yours stay with you as the body mm-hmm. changes, as we transform yep. as individuals, because the bond is something deeper. It's something uh, uh, more nuanced, more intricate, more in the intimacy of, of who you are. And that's that's beautiful. It's profound. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to see. That's why a lot of people come to me. Well, how do you see these clients who are old yeah. or this or that, or that? I was like, you don't you take the person for who they are and especially someone who was judged so heavily by the way that they looked when they were younger. Like, it's like so easy for me to not look at that and really dig deep and realize that there's so much more to be found underneath the skin. Mm. And it's hard. I mean, even, even for me today, everyone's like, oh, you look great. Oh, you're so fit. Mm. But there's still all of that residual. And I'm sure you understand too. And people are looking at you. And as I'm getting older, I mean, I'm going to be 47 in a couple of months. So it's one of those things where it's like, oh my God, 50 is like right here. And I'm, com- you know, competing with other people in my industry who are like, literally, I've been doing it for way longer. They've been on the planet. So, you know, yeah, it's like, true. oh my God. I'm like, oh, my and this you is know, a hella, this is the city of competitive edge, right? This is like New York. So it's like, well. oh my God. Yeah. Um, so it is hard to even let go, you know, uh, even though I try to, to not get too caught up in that, because I do have the hard proof that for me, what I'm getting out of this, and this is my career, you know, this isn't something that I'm doing temporarily, is the connections that are mm-hmm. formed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bonds that are formed, the experiences that happen. Um, those the are bonds, the things that are most. The bonds and the binds. The bonds of bondage. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I'm just, I'm, I'm riffing on your book title. Okay. I'm just <laughs> working on the book title here. Can, can you give us a, a crash course on the psychology aspect when it comes to domination, when it comes to stepping into this as a pro, how do you develop those skills to, uh, create the character to have those conversations to make those demands to to really uh, i guess cater to these clients these subs and uh what experience they might might be looking for i'm sure when i first started i was crap at it because i had no freaking idea what i was doing um but as time goes on, you know, you really kind of understand that people are coming to you can come to you for a lot of different reasons. And you, I feel I have a responsibility to do my best to understand that the person is coming to me for some sort of, you know, positive reason that the humiliation and pain, um, 
degradation, whatever might be going on is really not because they want to truly lower their self-esteem. Mm. So it's kind of a little muddy waters there. Like why, why do people want this? Is it, is it good? After years of doing it, you learn really quickly how to tell sort of how somebody feels about the interaction. But for me personally, there is a pretty rigorous interview period even if the person has experience, um, I will not see somebody unless I speak to them on the phone. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see a lot of people find that very odd, like especially the younger people, because everything's like email or text or whatever. And I need to hear the intonation in somebody's voice. I need to be able to pick up on subtleties that I think can also a lot of times be lost in mm-hmm. other kinds of correspondence. Um, so for me, talking to them on the phone is essential and asking them a lot of questions Mm. and getting a good sense of why they're doing this, even if they've never done it before. You know, why do you think you wanna be here? You know, what sort of images are you attracted to? Do you remember our first, you know, sort of fantasy or thoughts about this? Is this something that you're doing just because you've been exposed to it on social media? Or do you have history of thinking about it since you were younger? Why now? Is there something? Why me? Is there something about me? You know, so all of those things are really important to assess before you start. And then there's the, the list of acceptable activities, questionable, like, I'm not sure if I'm into that. And then any hard limits that the person may have, at least in the beginning. And then afterwards, there is the check-in, like, how was that? What Mm -hmm. stood out? What was good? What was bad? What was neutral? Um, Did something not work? Uh, And during the scene, you have safe words and the safe words could be used not just for physical things. I have to impress that upon people because if you're doing like a bunch of verbal stuff, you know, there could be triggers with the things that I'm saying that when I'm saying them are really not feeling good or feeling right um, because you are pushing those boundaries. That's why people are there. Um, So giving people that option to say, you know, whatever the safe word is, even if it's just through verbal, you know, talking. So all of that starts in the beginning. In your own words, I know it's so hard to, to lump every every sub together in this. Um, why do people seek out experiences with a dominatrix? Is mm. there a, an overriding reality that has uh, come to mind in your years of experience? <laughs> um, there's definitely different types of people that will come. You know, you have people that are just fetishists. You know, for whatever reason, everyone could, some people can know why they are, some people don't. And that is one reason Like I have a particular fetish. Um, that majority of the people I would say who come to me really want it, want to use it as some sort of break, vacation, downtime, personal time, and whatever that means for them. You know, they have stresses in their life like we all do. And this is their mini vacation. Mm -hmm. And I have, that word has been used so many times by so many people and can mean so many things to people, like even in regular life, like one person's idea of a vacation could be going out and swimming with sharks. And, you know, that might scare the crap out of somebody else. Whereas another person's vacation could be sitting on a beach playing a guitar. So again, whatever that means for that person, that's kind of the general sense of why people do this. Mm. What about... Um, it's funny because I imagine in in 
in the moment, when you're in a scene, when you're working with a sub or working on a sub, you wouldn't necessarily say to them, you're a powerful person. But can we can we get into the power of a submissive? Because mm -hmm. society immediately oh, yeah. wants to say there's something wrong with these individuals that seek pain or torture or any kind of hurt. There's something wrong. It's disgusting. I don't understand it. And for me, it was learning about someone like Bob Flanagan the uh, mm -hmm. super masochist Bob Flanagan that blew my mind. Yeah. I, I never held judgment yeah. against people that seek out uh, being a submissive and, and, and experiencing some of those great pains. But then I also, you know, I, I went even further to see the beauty, the power, the value, someone like Bob Flanagan, who was born with cystic yeah. fibrosis and turned this, uh, this dynamic that he enjoyed into this life-giving philosophy of I can endure all of this pain and it's pain that I ask for as opposed to the hand I've been dealt in life with this disease I was born with. Yeah, so it's very interesting. People, one, assume that BDSM and kink involves pain. That is the overarching con right. you know, concept, which is why people have that philosophy of who would seek out pain? So let's just first say, of course, there's a lot of BDSM where there's absolutely no pain involved. But with, since that is a large component of it, and that is definitely the stereotype of BDSM, I think that's great that you brought that up. So when we look at pain and why, I mean, even people who participate in BDSM would say that they would go through great lengths to avoid pain in life. They don't want to go and have somebody drop a bowling ball on their foot. That is not they would not want that. They would not, you know, so we have to look at pain in an interesting way. Why then would you seek this out? What is the difference between bad pain and good pain? And what people don't realize because BDSM is considered, you know, sexual or deviant that we as humans seek out pain all the time. It's mm -hmm. just that we accept it as socially normal to say, work out at the gym. Oh, that's a fine kind of pain. Like everybody, that's good. That's like thumbs up, good pat on your back to a marathon. Oh yeah, that's fine. You cannot tell me that's not painful. Then there is, um, you know, who likes chili? Who likes hot curry? You know, I mean, we're there sweating, crying, shoveling the food, but that's fine. No, you know, there's nothing wrong with those people. That's all okay. So it's our perception that like, we don't search out pain in life. We, we really do. What about a massage where they're going in there and they're digging in there, digging. And you're like, oh, they, you know, but that's fine. No, because it's not kink. It's all okay. So when people come and they want to experience various kinds of pain during kink, it's bad because it's kink. So that's, that's one thing. So we as humans actually do, most of us seek out pain in one way or another. Um, so when you're looking at pain, it's good pain, bad pain, and neutral, you know, good pain could be like, I am in the throes of passion with my lover and they bite a nipple or bite my neck or pull my hair. Now, if somebody was to walk up to you and just pull your hair on the street, some random person, you might want to turn around and punch them. But in the throes of passion, you might ask for more. So why is the same stimuli? have two completely different responses. And that's because of the context. Yeah. So people who are coming to BDSM are coming and enduring that pain because the context is good. The context is good. Then you get sexually aroused. It plays with your 
uh, neurochemicals, it releases dopamine, it releases endorphins, which are, you know, they block pain receptors. So you're able to endure more pain. So it doesn't feel like pain because then the dopamine flushes out all the feel good chemicals. So Mm -hmm. the same stimuli feels very, very different when the context is different. Um, so, you know, bad pain is when something's wrong. Bad pain is I broke my arm. Bad pain is I have food poisoning. Nobody likes bad pain. No matter what kind of masochist you are, you don't like bad pain. But someone like Bob Flanagan will take the context of bad pain and the context will shift his body and brain's perspective on the pain, turning it into good pain. So here he was like given this and his entire body is filled with pain, but because he is shifting the dynamic of the context of the pain. And then also when it comes to endurance. So we as humans really pride ourselves on enduring. You know, you get such accolades if you can run a marathon or if you could do this kind of physically challenging thing. You know, we look at boxers, we look at MMA, we look at the gladiators, whatever it is. Like we look at these things like that's like we want to be that we want to endure. So in BDSM, you know, you are putting yourself through physical challenges, but it's safe. You set the terms, but you come out of it on the other side with the same sense of I can endure. I am physically challenging myself. I am scaring the shit out of myself purposefully, but doing it. So I feel better about myself. I feel accomplished. I feel like I did something. I can handle more. I am proving to myself I am strong. And then you take that and you apply it to other areas in your life. So people, you know, have this whole thing, like, why would anybody come out and want pain? Because they're not understanding the context of it. They're not understanding that we as humans search this out in a million other ways. It's just, we consider that one bad. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's so (laughs) powerful. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's poetic, but it's also fact, everything you just said there. And, and thank you. Thank you for that beautiful telling of of it because it's, it's true. It's true. Every day, every day we are seeking out pain. I mean, I think of cosmetic procedures. I think of, yeah, and that's like, that's what I call like neutral pain. So there's good, bad, and neutral. Neutral is a tattoo. Neutral is, uh, you know, you have to get some like a little mole removed or, you know, you, or your cosmetic procedures. It's like, okay, I'm going to endure this pain. I'm going to get my legs waxed. It's yeah. not going to feel good, but I'm going to do it because I want, it. Right. you know, and then there's the, oh shit, I just slipped and fell and broke my arm and I'm crying and I'm upset because this is something really wrong with me. pain. And then there's the, oh, I want to go and have some super hot, you know, Thai food tonight and be like sweating there, but I'm loving everything. From my eyelids. Exactly. Exactly. So I I know that you and I have talked about this before, but I wanted to include it in this episode. Um, I know you've got great words on this. Uh, When is a kink cause for concern? Uh, When does um, someone's request or a sub starting to tell you about an experience they hope to attain. When is that cause for concern? Do you step in and tell them it's a no or how do you navigate that? It's, it's, it's definitely challenging. Uh, everybody you take on a case by case situation. And there's a couple of things. One, again, are they using kink or BDSM as sort of a negative habit? Because as we talked about before with pain, 
people who participate in kink, you know, you do have certain neurochemicals that release dopamine is one of them, which is uh, intrinsically linked with your habitual behaviors, like, you know, drug addicts, alcoholics, Mm -hmm. exercise people. So kink can be a habit. Now, are they using it, you know, judiciously, or are you getting addicted to it? So you have to kind of see somebody's pattern and behavior and think if they're participating healthy, just from from that standpoint. And then there's the, okay, you know, I want to participate in X, Y, and Z activity. And then you have to look at if that activity is definitely more on the fringe of something that you might think might not be ethical. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to look at why they're doing it and assess whether or not you think that the participation in exploring that is, is, is ethical on my end. Yeah. Yeah. So you ask questions, you, you kind of poke and prod and uh, do a lot of before and after talk to see, Uh you know, where their mindset is around it. And if you get, or at least personally, if I get the sense that those activities are being done for any other reason than wanting to explore it, to understand it and, or maybe process trauma or whatever it is, then I would not participate in that activity. What are, what are your personal hard limits? If I may ask, do you sure? Um, I do, I do because hard limits when I first started didn't really exist because I was exploring so much and the world was different and I didn't really understand the gravity of what I was doing. I was like 18, 19, 20 years old. Like I had no concept of like the fact that what I was doing could potentially be harmful to somebody or feed into their own self-deprecation or self-esteem issues. So it took me a while to suss, suss that out. Um, you know, for me, um, sort of fat shaming is a big one. Obviously, I'm intimately connected to that. Uh, so I generally will not do that unless it's sort of fat shaming with the motivation of like losing weight, because some people do that need that negative reinforcement to make them feel good. But if it's like, fat shaming with like forced feeding and all of that stuff. Like I've had people, I just, I can't participate in that uh, personally because I'm sensitive to those issues. Um, Then other than that, I don't do any race or religious humiliation. And I have in the past, again, when I was younger, but now I think it is just such a loaded and sensitive topic that I don't feel comfortable participating in it. And I don't think I really have the skill set to dive into those topics deep enough to know where the origin comes from. And so I'd rather just really leave that, leave that alone. Yeah. But other than that, I think, I think pretty much all is, all is fair game. You know, I I feel a lot of listeners and viewers are going to, they're going to feel very inspired by listening to you today. And maybe there is some of them with an inkling to take on a more dominant role in their sexual lives and their sexual selves. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that we have a lot of even cam performers that enjoy dabbling with a little bit of that role play in their own broadcasts. So is there any, any advice that you have for stepping into that role for people that are completely brand new to it? Um, my, my advice would be, thankfully, there is a lot of information out there. 
So if you do want to start to um, play around with this, just do a little research on the areas that you're interested in. You know, if your areas of interest are, you know, how to, to learn how to sort of play around with chastity for someone, say it's a cam person and they want their person to, to be like all locked up while they're doing stuff and, you know, read about some of the stories of what it's like to be in chastity. Um, because I think that having these subs perspective on anything that you want to do as a dom is so important, like ridiculously important because you have to be able to see their perspective so you can understand how to get into their head and to truly dominate them and understand why they're asking for that. So to be conscientious in your actions and try and see the other person's perspective. Uh, don't assume that you understand why that they're asking for those things. Um, and if you can't ask them yourself, you know, read about other people who are in those situations so you can learn what it's like. Because the best way to be a good dom is to understand yourself. Yeah. Yes. And that takes work. That's it does. Poking and prodding, right? That takes open work. lines of communication and drawing stuff out and kind of being intuitive and yeah. and all of that coming together and making sure that you do check in because you know, we assume a lot of things in life and it's, you know, it could be really detrimental if you're not checking in and making sure that, you know, what you're thinking is actually the situation. And sometimes the person doesn't know either, you know, you have to give them time to kind of figure out their own reactions and emotions to what's happening. And sometimes they won't have answers for you. So in those situations, it's even harder and you kind of have to just keep going with it um, and seeing where that leads. It's like the moral of every episode of this show. It's the moral of the story to every episode. It's like we keep going back to this communication when it comes to sexuality yeah. and communicating. It, it just, it comes down to that. And it, plain and simple, you need to be talking more. You need to be, you know, getting the perspective, understanding each other. That's just, that's- And understanding yourself. Yes. That is, I think like we don't take a lot of time to really listen to our own feelings and emotions. And I think oftentimes we discount them. And especially when you're in a partnership, you know a lot of times what the other person may want and giving those answers and discounting maybe what you're really feeling because you feel it's not right or they won't like it or you know it should be a different way. Like don't discount your feelings and actually listen to yourself so you can be a good because yeah. I think we have a lot of people communicating, but they're both bad communicators because they yeah. don't know themselves enough to be able to say what they really want. Oh, so true. So true. Uh, Mistress Natalie, to, to put a bow <laughs> on all this today, um, do you have a favorite session scene experience in all of your years? Is there a most God. memorable moment? If you had to pick one. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I mean, there are so many. There really are. It would be so freaking hard. But one, just like, because it was just such a freaking circus, crazy insanity. And I will never forget it. It just popped into my head. Um, so I have a sub who is into heavy feminization, but also like heavy medical play and he loves surprises. And he actually, um, has, uh, when he is subbing, you know, this real desire to be feminized and to be given breast implants. And so, but the whole like mindset for him is that he, he's being forced to do it. So it's like kind of against his will. So one time I, um, you know, had, got him at my studio 
did the whole sort of semi-transformation, high heels is that, and then put blind eye contacts uh, in them and had nothing on but high heels because they have a super high heel fetish, like six inch platform stilettos and a hospital gown and blind eye contacts. And I had rented a wheelchair. So I literally, as they are blindfolded with the contacts, put them in a wheelchair in the, in the hospital gown and the high heels, get them out and literally roll them down on the street. We went like 12 blocks down the street and I'm in a wheelchair and down like 6th Avenue to a hotel. They had no idea where they, they were going. They thought that it was going to be at like, you know, a medical facility, you know, and then they're coming in the elevator going up. Oh, and I also had a noise canceling headphones. So they couldn't hear anything. <laughs> so they're blind. They can't hear anything. They're in this wheelchair, like, like they're tall, like uh, over six feet. So like that small person <laughs> trying to like get them in the street. So oh funny, God. get them in the hotel, get upstairs. And um, I had moved a piece of my like bondage equipment into the hotel. I had these movers come to move it into the hotel and like got them all strapped in. And then had like an injection that was just saline, but I like, gave them an injection in their arm, like, you know, to make them kind of play along with the whole, whole thing. And then I had my IV pumps there. So I gave him his breast infusions in the hotel, but yeah, that was pretty epic. That took a lot. I needed boobers and, you know, all this crazy stuff. And they were so surprised. I mean, I think they practically shit themselves. Cause it was like in the morning, you know, when it would be like, yes. oh, and their their partner their partner um was in on it and told them not to eat the night before just wow. to like mess with their head <laughs> okay that that is can i just say that is so much cooler than any of the craziest proposal videos i've seen out there i feel like dominatrixes should get it there there could be a side hustle in just being like let me plan your proposal because you want it to be really memorable. Like I, I can get it that to that level. That is so amazing. They yep, must have loved it. Was, it. They must have loved that. You'll never uh, forget it was, that. It was crazy. It was totally crazy. Yeah, I remember their their partner was like, "Okay, you can't eat anything else tonight," and you know, and, and we purposely planned this like early in the morning. <laughs> so that's so genius i love it, yeah, it and, and, I, and i love talking with you could you please let listeners and viewers know how to get in touch and learn more about you of course uh, my website is mistressnatalie.com that is probably the best way to uh reach out and touch me <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I have my, my Instagram, which is mistress Natalie NYC and, uh, Twitter is Domina Natalie NY, but my social media could be found on my website as well. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for being here and, and storytelling and, and just being your wonderful self. Thank you so much, mistress Natalie. We'll see you uh, You're so welcome. for part two sometime. <laughs> love it. Love it. Have a great see day. Ya. Bye. Bye. This has been a CAM4 radio production. Come say hi at www.cam4radio.com.